0: We are today continuing with our sermon series on God's power in the, um, in the book of Acts. And this morning we um, want to continue with the, with the topic of, um, of witnessing. Uh, we have been going through a number of sermons. The first one that we started in the book of Acts was uh, back in May when Joe Penner... Uh, had the first sermon on the book of uh, in the book of Acts, how the church started. It was a it was a uh, powerful movement of God. The Holy Spirit came and just infused the church. Well, infused the people, and the church was born. And the apostles were very effective in their community. They were willing. They were available, and they did a lot of good things. In our second sermon we looked at Peter and John how they were healed, how they were going to the temple to pray one day, and this lame man gets healed, and that results in a prison sentence overnight and um, that was a the challenge they faced and then um, the third sermon was we had we had Peter and John being released from prison the next day, they were severely threatened you got he's got to shut up about this Jesus we told you not to talk about him anymore. They kept witnessing, they kept talking, they kept testifying and They let them go because the priests and the uh, leaders were so scared of what would happen if they wouldn't. Because everybody loved these guys. Well, most people loved these guys. And then in the fourth sermon, we talked about how Satan attacked the church from inside. There was was an, an issue where people had been giving money, had been selling their property, their goods, and so on. And here was one couple, they figured, hey, we don't need to actually be honest. We can actually lie about this. And so we had the picture of the styrofoam cake. Some of you have watched that. Some of you have seen that, the styrofoam cake. And they wanted to look good without being good. And then in our, Fifth sermon, we looked at how the church found itself in a in a situation where it was another internal issue. And this time it was this distribution of food. Some widows were complaining, hey, we're being overlooked. We're being neglected. We don't like this. And so what the apostles did then, a little bit of focus correction there. And so they said, wait a minute, we should not actually be doing this job. You guys should be doing this job. So the apostles said, Okay, we're gonna give it to you guys. You find seven, you find some guys, and they found seven people. The apostles prayed over them, gave them the job and they took ownership and responsibility to care for the congregation and so on. Then last Sunday we had um a little break. Um we had actually another break in May for, for Father's Day and I mean from June for Father's Day and then uh, another break last Sunday where Kalbart spoke on 1 Peter 5 verse 8 to 9 actually it fits quite in quite well here where Peter warns the readers to be careful and watch out for the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Satan is never in short uh he's never shy about trying to enter the church whatever way he can. He's a powerful force to be reckoned with, even though Satan's a defeated enemy. He's not quiet, he's not silent, and he goes about like a roaring lion, trying whom he may devour. And Satan, I think, is quite smart, quite intelligent at picking out those people who he thinks, this guy we will get, and, and he does get some people. So today we're looking at a different character, his name is Stephen. It's, again, the the Power of God series and the powerful witness that Stephen demonstrated in his role that he had to play in the big scheme of things in God's church. He was what we would call a very productive Christian. He was one of those guys where the seed had been sown. It had not fallen on hard ground. It had not fallen on rocky ground. It had not fallen on thorny ground. It fell on good ground. And in a very short while, this man named Stephen, he just had a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus, and he did remarkable things. Stephen was a guy who didn't just have to serve, he got to serve. He was a guy who didn't just need to, I mean, he wasn't told to, but he, he had an opportunity and he thankfully took it. It was an honor for him. And so this morning we want to look at this whole concept of what did it cost him to serve? and uh, this is not really part of my sermon but i just thought i'd add it here he was desig- he was delegated he was in, entrusted with the job of handing out bread but what he really ended up doing more than anything was he was handing out bread of life he was a powerful teacher and the work that he did was so powerful it just infected or it just made him popular or well very well known and sure enough it didn't take very long then there was opposition there was somebody who challenged it and uh, they decided, we got to stop this guy. His ministry is costing us, uh, the Jews, uh, the leaders. We can't afford, we can't allow him to continue. So I would like for us to just begin reading the story. And actually, we'll start reading out of chapter 6, verse 8. Let's begin chapter 6, verse 8. Okay, the back one's not on I'm just trusting the, uh, the PowerPoint slides will we'll, we'll run there. So Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power... He's one of the seven that was chosen, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God this roused the people the elders and the teachers of religious law so they arrested stephen and brought him before the high council the lying witnesses said this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of moses we've heard him say that this jesus of nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs moses handed down to us at this point everyone the high council stared at stephen because his face became as bright as an angel so let's stop there why did he just stick to handing out bread why did he just stick to his job he was tasked with handing out bread. That was his job. Now he goes preaching Jesus, and it gets him in trouble. And, and I would say, in a good kind of trouble. And if you read Revelation, it talks about those very things where, where um, some of the saints who have died, where they are asking the Lord, how long will this, till our, we are avenged of the uh, people who killed us? And, and, and uh, they're told... In Revelation, just a little bit longer, there's some more who are still going to get killed and wait till that number is finished. So there's actually a designated number of people whom God has assigned to this role of suffering. And the witnessing and suffering go together. It's not fun. It's not something we enjoy. But that's what we find. And so these guys here, they were the ones who were the, uh, the troublemakers. They couldn't stand the Stephen. They couldn't, they didn't like what he was doing. And if he had just stuck to handing out bread, he would have avoided all this problem. But that was not his calling. His calling was serving, handing out bread, sure, but it was much, much bigger than that. And so he's handing out bread, and these guys, and he's also preaching, he's doing miracles, God is using him powerfully, and these guys can't stand it. They feel they have to shut him down. So they they construct, they manufacture some plan how they're going to get him, and they can't stand him. So they decide we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna manufacture some evidence. Lying witnesses are are brought in. And then they say, Stephen's speaking against Christ. He's not speaking, he's not, he's not, uh he's, he's speaking against the temple, he's speaking against Moses, he's speaking against the law. He wasn't speaking against the law or Moses or the temple, he was speaking for Christ. That was what he was doing. And so these guys, for them to have any kind of grip on Stephen, they have to do something. <clears throat> and if he had only watched his tongue a little bit better, he could have avoided this. He could have escaped this. But that was not his calling. These witnesses, they accuse Stephen of saying, Jesus is, uh, is, going, to come, is going to destroy this place, and Moses' law is going to be challenged, and so on. And they don't like it. There's a verse I want to read out of Luke chapter 12. And Jesus here talks about this very thing. He says, they're going to be arrested. You're going to be brought to trial. Here's what's going to happen. He says in Luke 12:11, he says, When you are brought, not if, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. God was, uh, God was uh, watching out for Stephen here. And he was fully trusting God was going to take care of him. He was in danger of getting killed. He was killed later on, but during this whole thing, I don't think Stephen knew in his heart that this would result in his death. It doesn't say that, and and we have no reason to believe that he knew that. But he knew one thing. He was in line with God. He was right with God, and he was trusting God in this situation. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to talk about this. just want to mention it now how this event was kind of the launching point, the catapult, so to speak, that launched the church into the wider community. Before this time, the the believers were all Jews, basically. There was um, mostly just Jews, and it was a Jewish faith, so to speak. But this would explode that. But in this case, Stephen is ready. He has counted the cost. He's firm. He has served well. Maybe not long, but he has served well. And he's dedicated his life to Christ, so he's ready to suffer. So here he's facing his toughest battle, and that would, now ensue, that would now result in his death. He would literally give up his life. So let's begin reading how this event unfolded and how it finished. <clears throat> Chapter 7, verse 1. We'll just read that verse for now. Then the high priest asked Stephen. He's arrested. He's before the law for, deal, for, doing, for allegedly, um, allegedly saying that Jesus is going to destroy the temple. He hadn't said that. Or the laws of Moses will be replaced. He hadn't said that either. The high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? What would you say? Of course not. No, they're not true. They're lying. They're lying. That would be the gut reaction response, right? That's what we would be tempted to say. And I haven't put this this verse in my PowerPoint, but in in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, there's a time for everything under the sun, a time to be quiet and a time to talk. And for Stephen, now is the time to talk. You see, I think the people in power, the people who had him arrested, who had him standing before them, I think those people expected a a defense. I think they expected maybe a cowardly retreat. He he won't want to die, so he's going to recant. I don't think that's what, well, I think that's what they thought, but that's not what happened. There was nothing about retreating for Stephen. His witness was way stronger than they expected it to be. And I think he probably remembered the words of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The devil was like a roaring lion at the point at that time. So the question was, what would Stephen do? He had demonstrated courage and, and uh, wisdom and, and, and service before. He was given to service and he had been used by God. And what would he do now? Well, one thing he didn't do is retreat. He didn't step back or step down. So I want to read the next whole series of verses here. It's a long chapter, so I just want you to follow along. Uh, The rest of chapter 7, we'll read, not all of it, most of it, we'll read close to the end, and then we'll make a pause there. So just bear with me. This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me, he said. And now notice he addressed them as brothers and fathers. They're all believers, not Christians, but all believe the same thing. All believe the laws of Moses. All believe that, the, that the, uh, Moses was the lawgiver and the law of God is good and, and Jehovah God. All, all of them believe that. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our, all of us, glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. <coughs> Verse 4, so Abram left the land of the Chaldeans, lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live, but God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abram and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said, "and and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom, so that Pharaoh appointed him governor of all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But if famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb of Abraham, the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamer's sons in Shechem. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. By then, but then a new king, king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the other man, to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers, why are you fighting each other? But the man man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. 40 years later in the desert near mount sinai an angel appeared to moses in the flame of a burning bush when moses saw it he was amazed at the sight as he went to take a closer look the voice of the lord called out to him i am the god of your ancestors the god of abraham isaac and jacob moses shook with terror and did not dare to look <clears throat> then the lord said to him take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground i have certainly seen the oppression of my people in egypt i have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them now go for i'm sending you back to egypt So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with her ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. "'But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. "'They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. "'They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, "'for we don't know what has become of this Moses "'who brought us out of Egypt. "'So they made an idol shaped like a calf, "'and they sacrificed to it "'and celebrated over this thing they had made. "'Then God turned away from them and abandoned them "'to serve the stars of heaven as their gods.' In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings these during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Moloch, the star of your god, Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors to battle against the nations that God drove out of the land, The tabernacle was taken with them and they entered their new territory and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High does not live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? Let's stop there. Okay. If Stephen had stopped there, if that's all he had said, I know it's a long piece here. If that's all he had said so far, we could say, "Okay, not enough reason yet for them to be mad at him." He knew his theology, he knew his history, but now he gives them a Bible lesson. He doesn't say, "I'm innocent. I didn't make those accusations." I didn't say Jesus is going to come to destroy the temple. He never even addressed the question. Instead, he just turns to history, gives them a history lesson of what he sees and what he believes. <clears throat> just in a side note here, it's always important that we know our Bibles. How are you going to defend your faith if you don't know what you're talking about? Well, Stephen knew what he was talking about. And I think they realized, "Uh-oh, this Stephen guy is smarter than we thought he was, or he knows more than we thought he did." And so in a, in an essence, they had arrested him. He was before the council on a false on a bogus charge, and even be, and even he doesn't even address the charge. He just says, "Okay, I'm going to talk to you about your history, about our history, we as Israelites. And if this was not embarrassing enough, that he was now engaging them at that level, he then does something that many people, maybe even pastors would today say, don't do that, you're going to cause more problems than you have now. And then he, makes, he finishes his little sermon, or his little talk, his lecture we can call it, he finishes it with a devastating blow. I've said before that the book of Acts is a history book. It's not a prescriptive book. It's not a book that tells us how to witness. It just tells us how others witnessed. That's what it does. But we can learn from the principles of these people. It's a very powerful story. And here's where I struggle, and I have to be honest. I'm not quite sure if I could do that. I could not say what Stephen said. Maybe I could if God told me to, so to speak. I don't know. But let's continue reading verse 51. And this is just, why did he do that? It says, you stubborn people. He's just told them the history. He's just, you stubborn people. You're heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, and even though you received it from the hands of angels. He just sealed his death warrant. Why'd you witness like that? Be careful, man. Be careful what you say. You can get killed for that. Where did this come from? This is, I think, is directly the result of he being so in close fellowship with God. What angered God angered him. What distressed God distressed him, and he could not be quiet. And Luke eleven verse twelve hit home: "You'll be told what to say." Stephen was a powerful witness. I have to admit, when I read a passage like this, I just have to pause for a second. Just pause for a moment. He's not polite. No beating around the bush. No pussyfooting around. No trying to keep on their good side. He told them brothers and fathers before. Brothers, our God, we have something together. Look what he's doing now. He's confronting them. He calls them deaf to the truth. He calls them heathen at heart. Not willing or able to, to uh, get this. He says, you betrayed and murdered the Messiah, the righteous one. If there was any hope of bridging the gap between Stephen and these guys, it was over. There was no possibility any longer. From here on out, it was going to be separate ways. <clears throat> and again, I want to go back to what I said before at the outset. I think God planned this. I know it's not very welcome to say it in, 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 in Christian circles, but I think God handpicks some of his people whom he chooses to, su- to um, he, whom he ordains to suffering. Saul was a chosen vessel for suffering. And Stephen now was the same. God's spirit broke through powerfully. And here was now the deciding moment what these guys could either repent or they could refuse. Well, let's read verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. The responses we give usually reveal what's inside, don't they? Instead of taking a step back and say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if he's onto something? Let's investigate this one more time. Let's check this thing out. What he's talking. Maybe we are not that innocent. Maybe we are actually wrong. Could we be wrong? <clears throat> Would have been interesting to see this in video form. Are these charges perhaps true? Instead of that, they're infuriated. What had happened? He shed light on darkness. He exposed the lies, the falsehood." He never answered the question: Are these accusations true? He turned it right around, and it came right back at them. You know what a boomerang is? It's just a, a little kind of a elbow-shaped device, and certain countries people use them to hunt, and they can they can throw them pretty accurately, and they throw them at a, at a bird, maybe, <clears throat> and it hits the bird, and, and those things actually they make a circular, um, circular they, they go up and they come back. It boomeranged on them. They threw the charge at Stephen. It came back and pointed right at them. Well, what's Stephen gonna do? Is Stephen going to try to engage them now? No. Not necessary. Verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the presence in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told him, Now he talks Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's calm, he's collected, he's not afraid, God's spirit's filling him, he sees glory. This verse, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the, place, in the place of honor, God's right hand. That phrase just was more than they could handle. Verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Beyond control, they've gone berserk. They're mad with rage. And uh, I don't know exactly what the customs and culture were, but they uh, take off their coats the sto- to stone Stephen. And they, sit, and they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul. What was Stephen going to do now? Beg? Please don't kill me? Please give me, uh, please let's work something out. No, it says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. No resistance, no retaliation, no anger, no hostility, no animosity. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. We're 60, he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin and with that. He died. He died. What do you do? He was the first martyr of the church of Jesus Christ after it was born. He knew where he stood. He had served faithfully. He knew he had taken up his cross. By the way, that's the best definition of taking up a cross, willing to suffer like that. He had fought well, he suffered well, and he died well. What do you do with a witness like that? His death was not in vain. And if you come back next Sunday, we're going to talk about that. This would would be the attempt of the community, the religious leaders, to squash this church once and for all. Kill him. In fact, it would light the powder keg that would explode the church onto the scene and to just infiltrate and saturate and marinate the world over. And by the way, It would be about 30 years, give or take, from this point forward that this happened, that Jerusalem actually was was destroyed, and the temple with it too. So how does this apply to us? Let's wrap this up. This continues to this day. History is littered and riddled with stories of men and women like this who pay the ultimate price for being a witness for Jesus. Our culture is now so politically correct, and we got to say this, well, you don't offend so-and-so, do not offend that person, not offend this... We'll never get it. It's not so important where we focus here. We focus on Jesus. Let the rest be what it will be. Suffering will come. It starts out as trying to all get along. Let's all be on the same page. No, we want to control you. That's what the world wants. And as Christians, we say, no, Christ controls us. We come with love, compassion, truth, and honesty, integrity. We come with those qualities, and the world can't stand those things. And maybe we're thinking, okay, you know what, but I will stand when it comes. I'm just not ready now, but then I'll be ready. No, if we don't know where we stand now, how will we stand then? I'm thankful for the saints of today who stand for the truth. And if you read... Um, Stories from Voice of the Martyrs, stories from the persecuted countries. There's some amazing things that are going on. But where do we start? What do we do? It starts out by getting right with God. Coming to the cross of Jesus, repenting of our sins, receiving forgiveness. And then as Jesus gives us new life, step by step, one day at a time, we use our gifts, our abilities and talents for him. God honors that, God blesses that, and it grows. And yes, then there comes the time of suffering. Stephen lived well, he worked well, and he suffered well, and he died well. Powerful witness. May God give us strength as we emulate a lifestyle like that, wherever that may be. I don't know where that our calling is. And not all people get killed for their faith. That's not the point. The point is, have we served well? Have we lived well? Have, has our life been a good witness? So with that in mind, let's go into this next week with that determination, that conviction, and that commitment to witness well for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and not count the cost. In terms of, oh, will it be, what will I have to say, what will I have to do, what will I have, no, Jesus says count the cost, in that sense, yes, but not, oh, it's too hard, I can't do this, no. It's a gift that we give back to him, our life is a gift that we give back to him. So with that in mind, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. Powerful story of a powerful witness who lived well, who served well, who suffered well, and who died well. Lord, may we be like that too. Whatever you call us to do, may we be faithful and obedient even unto death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.